0: So now let's turn to God's word as he speaks his word to us this morning from the first chapter of Luke. This is verses 46 through 56 and as you all probably know this is that exchange when Mary is coming to Zechariah's home in this exchange with, uh, with Elizabeth and you know Elizabeth experiences a sleeping in the womb. Of her child and acknowledging and recognizing that something unbelievable is, is about to occur. And uh, here's, uh, here's Mary's response beginning in the 46th verse. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. For he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary re- remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Mary's song. In the first verse of Mary's song, if you were looking at the scripture, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't normally talk that way. I don't say, you yeah, know, my soul's just magnifying my wife this week, or my soul is just really magnifying the bears this week. Or we, we just don't use that kind of language. And so when we read it, we maybe have a sense of what it means, but we're really not quite sure, are we? It must have something to do with making larger, and that's, that's pretty close to it. It means to hold in the highest honor. And so what Mary says is that my soul holds God, my Savior, in the highest possible honor. There, there's nothing more or greater than God in my life that I acknowledge. So the second half of it, where she says, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, she's really repeating herself at that point. Because her soul, her spirit, essentially the same thing. And the magnifying and rejoicing are essentially the same thing. And God is the object of both. So what she's saying is, I hold God in the highest possible honor and I just rejoice in that. There is nothing that makes me happier when I contemplate it than this God who is my Savior. The rest of the song is going to tell us why she has arrived at that place of holding God in such high esteem and taking such delight in him. And so uh, what we find, the truth that she gives us is simply this. God saw Mary in her need. Now think about that for a moment. Have you gone through moments of tremendous need in your own life? Moments when you were tempted to think there was no hope or that all hope was gone? You ever been in a predicament in your life when you thought to yourself, I don't see a way out of this? Mary could very easily, at this point in her life, and remember, it was only in the previous passage that the angel Gabriel appeared to her and told her what was going to happen. Mary was at that point in her life. Is there any way forward, any hope? And it was God. God. God who saw Mary in her need. Do you believe that God sees you in those moments in your life of greatest need? You know, we, we certainly think that God is, God is there in our good days. That's easy to believe. But do you believe that He's there on your hardest and most difficult days too? That's what Mary discovered. And... It's what I think God wants each of us to discover here this morning as well. And so as Mary considered that fact that God was there meeting her in her need, that God was claiming Mary as his own, that to God, Mary was the jackpot, and that he thinks the exact thing about you and me, Mary began to process all of that, through her own personal story. Here's what Mary sings. And remember, this is a song. She's singing it. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. When Mary, by the way, speaks of her humble estate, the word she uses can also mean humiliation. And as far as the watching world was concerned... Mary was a young teenager who had gotten into trouble, with child, but without a husband. There were few things in Palestinian culture in the first century that could have caused such shame as this. She was with child, but without a husband. And it was at that moment that she realizes that God has looked upon her and saw in her someone who could bear a child supernaturally conceived while enduring the attempts of those around her to shame her. God knew that no one was going to believe her account of Jesus' conception and Mary would have to bear the shame with dignity and grace. That was her story and that was going to be her life in the months to come. But because she knew God, she was able to embrace that as God's call on her life, knowing that future generations would call her blessed. Mary saw that future generations would understand this. And Jesus used that word blessed, didn't he, in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the pure in heart, they'll see God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they'll be filled. Blessed are the peacemakers, they'll be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs too is the kingdom uh, of heaven. Whenever that word is used by Jesus, they're blessed, but there's something hard and difficult that they're going to have to go through. It's not fun to mourn. It's not fun to hunger and thirst. It's not fun to be persecuted. But blessed are those who are willing to go through those difficult things. And that becomes Mary's personal story too. She was willing to embrace that which God had given to her and done in her supernaturally in spite of the watching world looking now critically. Can you imagine Mary walking down the streets of Nazareth and the whispering that she would hear in the background. The unkind looks that she was going to be getting during all of that time. Joseph bearing the same thing, oh poor Joseph, you heard what happened, didn't you? But in her personal story, Mary experienced God's presence with her, taking every step along the way right there, with her. Friends, are you able to look at this same God that Mary was looking at and find in your heart of hearts even on those difficult days a desire to honor God and to rejoice in what he's doing in your life even on the hard days? That's what Mary was able to do. And she's our example, our mentor in following Jesus. Besides being personal, however, Mary understands that God looks beyond her in her humble estate to all the poor. The Bible, if it has a bias, it's a bias for the poor. In Luke's account, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But throughout the Bible, and especially in the prophets and in Jesus' ministry, those two places, the poor appear to hold a special place in God's heart. Because you see, the poor they're powerless. They do not control their own lives but are at the mercy of the rich and powerful. They're kept from bettering their own lives by the greed and unscrupulous choices of the powerful. The, the, The prophets could not get angrier than when they saw the rich moving the boundary lines of the poor, reducing their land, making it more difficult for them to grow food for their own families by the rich who didn't need more land. But friends, that story has been written in one culture and one time after another, hasn't it? The poor. God has a bias and a special place in his heart for the poor because they're powerless. They're denied justice in the courts, their property can be taken from them by the rich, and their labor is vastly undervalued by those who live off of that labor. But God sees them and has mercy. And Mary understands God's justice will triumph, so she sings, He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. That same word again, the humiliated. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. That's what Jesus said. Now friends, none of this is because riches are in and of themselves bad or evil. Don't make that mistake. Rather, it is riches in the hands of those who forget that every good gift, including riches, comes from the hand of God and is to be used to help the poor and the powerless and those who are unable, because of circumstance, to better their own lives. God remembers the poor remember that in god's design there's to be no poverty not even in our sin-stricken world remember those sermons i preached at the beginning of my time here when we talked about the sabbath year caring for creation there's to be no uh, abuse of the land of the air of the water and then of jubilee Do you remember jubilee Every 50 years, land was returned to the original owners so that neither riches nor poverty would ever become entrenched. Because God's desire is that there be no poverty. That all benefit from the riches of his created order. Poverty is an affront to God. And whatever they suffer in this age, God will remedy in the age to come. The first shall be last and the last shall be first those of us who are rich in this world will have no reason to complain in the age to come if we have not used our riches in God's way we've been forewarned and Mary sings about it in this song and it's one of the reasons that she holds God in such high honor and rejoices her heart overflows with gratitude to him But finally, we see that God is present not just with her, not just with the poor, but with all people. With all people. In the final part of her song, Mary does something quite remarkable. She references the two most important covenant agreements between God and his creation. Here's what she sings. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. First, that reference to Israel, she's, she's really referencing the Mosaic Covenant. And remember that the Mosaic Covenant, given at Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, which really are a summary of all the other commandments that we have, which can be summarized even more by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strengthen your neighbor as yourself. Right? That Mosaic Law was intended so that Israel would be a set-apart people from whom then Messiah could be born. A holy people from whom then through the line of David a king would be born, namely Jesus. See, Israel was not set apart because they were better than the other nations around them. They were set apart in order that from them Messiah could be born. And now, Mary is singing about that, that that day has come. And Messiah is about to be born. God has been faithful to Israel. He has kept his promise. But then she references Abraham. And remember that the covenant given to Abraham preceded the covenant given to Moses. And it wasn't given just to the Jews. It was given to all people. That's what Mary says, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And remember at that point in time, Abraham was not yet a Jew. He was a Gentile. And remember too that it's an unconditional covenant unlike the Mosaic, which was conditional. If you do this, then this will happen. In this covenant, God says, this is what I'm going to do. Your offspring will be as many as the stars in the sky and the sands by the sea. Mary saw that that's what God was about. He was going to extend his salvation through Jesus, the child that she was bearing. He was going to extend that salvation to people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Do you know how many tongues there are in the world? Thousands and thousands and thousands of them there are. And every single one of them is going to be represented in the new heaven and the new earth. Do you know how many different people groups there are in the world? Thousands of them. And every one of them is going to be represented in the new heaven and the new earth. My guess is that English will not be the most commonly spoken language in the new heaven and the new earth. That's the greatness of the God that Mary knew. And for her, It inspired honor and praise and glory on the one hand and extraordinary overwhelming joy and gladness on the other. So when you think of God, is he the celestial Scrooge leaning over the balcony of heaven and every time you begin to have fun, he yells stop it!" Is God, when you think of him, the celestial policeman who is looking over your shoulder at everything you do to pick out when you make a mistake? Or is God, the God of mercy, who looks upon you in your need and those neighbors of yours in their need and those students that you teach in their need. And those co-workers that you're with day in and day out at the office in their need. And do you see a God whose love for them almost breaks his heart? It is so overwhelming. His desire to bring them in to his family. To... Bring them to that place where they too will experience his love, his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy. That no matter who they are or what they have done or what they're struggling with, they have a friend in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. That's the God that Mary knew. And it's the God who wants you to know him in the very same way that Mary did as well. Is that the God that you know? Because he's inviting you right now to come and be his. That's the good news of the gospel. Amen.